thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up for a Chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And today we are so excited to be back in the land of the living, sharing more of Up For A Chat with more of you. And we've got somebody who has, I guess, been circling around for quite some time. He started with Cindy and then he moved on to Kim and, and I've been stalking him recently. So we thought we'd better, let you, better fill you in on who this man is. <laughs> He's the amazing Bruce Campbell, and he's been working as a business coach with Kim and Cindy for a number of years. And the results that I've seen just in their businesses has been huge. So we thought today's a perfect opportunity to really dive deep into the philosophy that this superhuman has when it comes to, you know, really getting what you love out into the world in a really powerful and potent way and creating change in people's lives and taking your message to a a wider audience. So welcome to the show, Bruce. Thank you, Karen. Lovely to be on, guys. Uh, Very excited. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So I want to start. I want to start. I'd like to come in here. I have watched you for many years. I remember sitting in the back of one of Cindy's talks and there was this guy down the back with these very pointy boots and very suave outfit on. And I remember looking at him thinking, who's this hunk of spunk sitting at the back of the room? He nodded and he'd look at Cindy every now and again. And then at the end, he started speaking. And then I watched the room sell, go through a sell fest like I've never seen before. And for three years, I watched Cindy take her business from uh, a hobby, for one, no disrespect, Cindy, but, you know, something she loved to do into a 25-person multi-million dollar empire that's now taking on Australia, the world, and everywhere else it's possible. Bruce, what got you interested, first of all, in business? And secondly, what made you pick Cindy? I, I just need to hear. Okay, well... So, really interesting question. I mean, um, you know, when I when I suppose I go back, it's probably to a, an earlier stage with my life. And you know, I used to board planes when I was a kid or at high school, and I'd walk past these people up the front of the plane, and then I'd sort of end up down in cattle class down the back. And I always sort of ask myself the question, you know, what do you got to do to sit up the front? And you know, there was this class thing, and I, I'm not very a class ish type of guy but I must admit I did ask the question to myself of well you know who, why why do you get to sit up the front what and the, and what's that all about turns out they call it business class so I thought well you know people that are in business therefore have more choices and way back when I was you know probably leaving school and university and what have you I decided to start out on a career of of doing businesses around the world so I've been developing businesses uh, in all parts of the land, we used to live in the UK, and um, and I've been developing companies ever since. Um, so, you know, it was a natural progression for me developing companies around the world. To then people then asking me their advice and how do you do this and what's this plan need to be to get that and 
you know, and you then fast forward, um, you know, 15 years and, yes, we've got a business coaching sign on the front door and a whole bunch of other investments that we do. Big picture, Kim, um, in my opinion, you know, there's no success. I mean, you, you've you, all of the people on the call have had some level of input in sport and, you, you know, some of us on the call have had it at a very high level. And, you know, the, the, the facts are that, in any professional sport in this day and age, you don't any of those girls or guys out there don't ever become successful unless they've got great coaches in the background. So effectively, that's what I do for business: is hold people accountable, give them strategy and guidance. Um, you know, on your question, just really quickly on 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 Cindy, I have no idea why I said why I took Cindy on. Uh, Cindy and, and Howard back in the day kind of came to me and said, look, you know, we're committed to make some changes. And, and the, what I've learned from your, uh, you know, your, the three of you guys together and all the teachings that you do, you're inspiring change in, in people. And I suppose that's the biggest thing. And Maybe if anyone's listening to this, you should have a, a pen and paper. There'd be one word I'd get you to write down now, and that's how committed you are to make that change, whether that be from a health point of view, whether that be from, hey, you need more money. And, you know, to answer your question, that commitment I saw back in Cindy and Howard back in the day, and, you know, they got in, they did the push-ups, they learned, they were coachable, and, you know, now we, we sit back going, well, look at where they are now. And, and, and many other stories like it. So that's how I'd probably answer that. How do I do there, Kim? <laughs> I'd like to say that I, I think you pass with flying colours. Uh, you know, one thing I'd love to ask you, Bruce, is, um, you know, business, we all have passions. Perhaps many of us have dreams and where we'd like to take an idea and make it into a viable entity, maybe something that creates even a legacy for our family. I want to ask you the question, do we need an MBA to start a business or be successful in business? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, great question, firstly. I think, you know, an MBA, I mean, some people don't even know what that acronym stands for, Masters of Business Administration. I went and did one overseas, cost me the best part of 150 grand, and if I had all my, even though I don't have regret on doing it, I'll learn a heap, you know, if I if I had my uh, time over, I'd I, all I'd do is go out and get a start of a coach or people around me to give me some guidance on the ground because I probably have learnt more in running businesses and being coached through doing that than, you know, three MBAs over. So to answer your question for any of the listeners, no, the answer is no. And for a lot of people, I hear them saying, you know, look, I'll go off and do a, a cert XYZ in management TAFE or I'm going off to open university. And look, I'm not saying that those things aren't a good choice. Uh, you know, I, I'm... I'm always interested to see the results on the back end of those type of pursuits. And a lot of times, you know, hey, I got a piece of paper. I now know a few more things, but I actually didn't take my net worth and my my business career forward or my business forward. So, you know, I don't think so. I mean, look, let me just address one thought. Um, and look, I, I could be wrong. And, and, you know, if I am wrong, you know, I'm wrong and I'm good with that. Here's what I know after coaching businesses for the last 15 years is – Passion is not enough. Uh, I mean, you think about this, Kim. The people that are now this week, this very week, filing for bankruptcy or closing their businesses, they got a full lease sign on the front of it or all the stuff that you don't hear behind the curtains 
the arguments with husbands and wives and, you know, all the disputes, etc., around money normally, um, normally came from a good idea. I've got a saying, you've heard me say it, so have you, Cindy, and that is, you know, all of my bad ideas started out as a good idea. I don't know if that's true for you, uh, Cindy and Kim and Karen, but every dumb idea I've ever I've ever had came out of me waking up one morning thinking it was a bright idea. I mean, am I the guy, only guy on the call that's ever had that or, or what? <laughs> no, I think you're right. Absolutely. So, you know, the, 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 the challenge is, is that a lot of people go and follow their only their passion. And if you think about it, those dudes that are, filing bankruptcy this week they were passionate about whatever they went and started out they 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 were passionate about the venture that they went and did there's not one person that i've ever seen in the first year of starting a new venture where they didn't have passion for the pursuit they were following the problem is is mixing that passion and inspiration with sound business skills to be able to run a business that's why and you know here you go again please write this down all listeners 96 percent of startup businesses will not make their 10th anniversary so that you know there's only a very small uh four percent survival rate after 10 years and here's another one you need to write down of the four percent team 80 percent of them will not get over two million of revenue so they never work out how to leverage and get bigger where then they don't have to work in the business 24-7. So wow. for me, I, I just all I say to people is I'm cool to have passion. I mean, I, I don't have one client and i got a bunch of them that don't have passion for what they started, you know, and that doesn't matter whether you're being, you know, you're, you're coaching people, you're, you're selling health and wellness or a mechanic up the road. Everyone's got uh, passion. The, the problem that's I think stops people, you guys, and I'm happy to have more questions on this. Is you know they don't have enough skills and tools in the toolbox to make informed decisions about how they grow their business. And and you know what I'd agree with you there, Bruce, because I had such passion for what I was doing. Um, you know, I wrote a book in 1998. Yes, I had babies and I had a husband with his own business and. But I did what I could do, which was I knew to go out and speak and sell a book. And I remember when I first um, met you and we started, which I think was 2009, if I remember right. Yep. You know, yep. you said, well, what about we create a package and how about you do you strategically um, do things in your talks to enroll the audience? And I remember the first time I, I did exactly what you said. We created a package. So instead of selling a $30 book, we started selling a $179 program, which included everything I had, books, cookbooks, um, the 21-day reset, and I think we also had about 10 reports at the time, which were on diabetes and um, heart disease and cholesterol and all of the myths that we seem to have. And I remember finishing up that talk, and I think there were a couple of hundred people in the room, and I believe we sold to something like 40 to 50% of the audience, mm -hmm. which was phenomenal for me. And I, I started to see, you know, that, that bright light. And then I think six months later, you know, we were having a discussion, the three of us, how are you and me, and we, every week we met and every, 
and we'd, we'd talk for an hour about, well, what's the next step? And I remember for me, it was, Bruce, just tell me what I've got to do this week for how it was, what's going to be happening in 10 years? So it was it was these skills that you instilled in us and I didn't need a business degree because I had somebody who had already done his MBA, whatever that, I know you said what it stands for, but you had already done your MBA and you were coaching us. Like I can't do every degree out there. I can't do every degree in medicine and nutrition and in autoimmune diseases and every PhD. I have to rely on other people for that information. And for me, you had that information. You were able to tell me what to do for the next week and you were able to um, dream big with Howie. And mm. I remember like six months later we were chatting and and it, it got to that question that everybody asks me, you know, how many people ask you about the salt and dulse recipe and, and everything like that? And then it was like this this aha minute for us all and we all went, well, why don't we just produce the salt for them and make it easy for them? And that was the beginning of the food industry for us. You know, now we have this huge warehouse with, you know, so many um, different foods and every month we're bringing in a new food, like we've just introduced inkinchi seed, which are just flying off the shelf. We've got broth, we've got coconut, we're looking for coconut cream. So I just find everything that you've said uh, I keep having these little, oh, that's what we did, that's what we did, that's what we did. You know, I had a passion, but I didn't know how to turn it into a, a thriving business. And it was through your guidance that um, we are where we are today. Um, plus, Howie and I put in the hard work. We, we yeah. you know, you made us put the hard work in, you made us accountable, you never let us off the hook. Sometimes I just want to roll my eyes at you. I was just going to say, I was going to say, let's just be honest here. Those bloody focus sheets, those bloody accountability things, honestly. <laughs> I, I, in the first three months, I actively avoided Bruce. Actively. <laughs> and all of a sudden I woke up and I went, hang on, I'm paying this guy to actively avoid him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and look, I mean... And, I mean, on that note, just as on a funny one, I mean, I still remember watching you on the first presentation. You said, look, I must have done this presentation easy a thousand times, but I'm so shit scared. I've never been more shit scared because I've got someone up back critiquing me, all right? And, and, and that, that, I suppose, is a good thing. And, and I'd say to all the listeners out there, here's a distinction. Write this one down. I think you've got to make a decision in life with if you're going to have a commercial venture, whether it's a hobby, okay, and I'm good with hobbies, just call it a hobby. You know, if you're if you're doing something and it's and it's hobby based, cool, call it a hobby, right? If you're doing a charity, okay, and you're and you do not need profit from that, as many amazing organisations out there, and I'm sure all three of you guys and me give a lot to those type of organisations. We've got a big dinner coming up in two weeks where we're going to cut a cheque for 20 or 30 grand to two of them. But, but call it a charity, all right? Uh, I think if you're wanting to run a business, call it a business and call it that. And then as soon as you've made that decision, and I think back to Kim and Cindy, you know, and I'm sure, Karen, 
you've made similar decisions is, all right, I'm going to run a business, so I've got to stop doing, it's a psychology thing. It's a, hey, I now got to be a big boy, a big girl, and go and actually run the thing as a business. Call it that, make the decision, and then do what people do in business is go and learn the freaking skills of how to run a business so that you're then informed and you make better decisions. So I think the first thing to do is to, is to call it what it is. No, no judgment if you call it a, a, a hobby. No judgment if you call it a charity. And if you call it a business, treat it as a business. What, what's your guys' thoughts on that? Uh, definitely. You have, to, you have to treat it as a business. You can't, you know, like um, I never treated my what I was doing as a hobby. I always treated it as a business, but I didn't have the skills, Bruce. It wasn't until you came along that gave me the skills and the direction and the accountability that enabled me to turn it into a successful business. And I think that that's that's the key point here is that I look at what we make per year um, and what we make per week now is probably similar. So I think to make it successful is what you've got to do. You can't just... Um, do a business and then not thrive. There's no point in doing it. You might as well have a job, you know, just over broke because that's where I was in my business, not so much Howard um, because he had his business, but I was just just over broke having a bit of fun and um, hoping that it was going to turn into something, hoping, not doing anything, just hoping. (laughs) Mm. I think one of the other things I remember hearing, I don't know if you all are familiar of the, the franchise Pumpkin Patch, um, she was a, a lady that started a business in New Zealand and it was one of the first online clothing businesses for children and babies. And I remember listening to her speak in Invercargill a couple of, oh, probably 12, 15 years ago. And one of the things she said is she started off with this big vision. She had the fabric, she had all the things made. Her and her mum and her husband stayed up all night sending out the first catalogue. They got quite an amazing return on the catalogue. They sent all the products out. And then within six weeks, they started getting returns. The fabrics were running, the the material was pulling. And so here they are, they had this great hit rate. Then they got slammed. Then they got slammed with a GST thing that hit them. Then they got slammed again with another run of fabric that went wrong. And honestly, when you hear her startup story and how she actually got going, you would have thought, you know, you would have quit quite a long you know quite a short way into that with so many knockbacks and the takeaway I took from her was she said it's interesting a number of people have seen me as an overnight success but that overnight success took me 10 years of hard guts determination sacrifice and you know writing and ringing customers with a formal apology for the mistakes and she also said you know we do make mistakes if you can own them if you can be um, honourable enough to, you know, know and let your customers know that that happens and be honest with them and have your heart on your sleeve as to who you are as a business owner, then her belief was they, they you'll lose some, but ma- the majority of people will stick with you. Um, Bruce, would you say that that's a fair call, that it takes 10 years of, of work to, to really create? I, mean, I know some people have grazing success very quickly, but I thought it was quite an apt story for her. You know, not many people see all the things that go on in the background to build it into the empire that it is. Yeah, look, I mean, my, my opinion on that is, and there's there's a great 
book, and for the life of me, I now can't remember it, but here's the principle of the book, is that talks about this magical figure of 10,000 hours, right? And, you know, it's plus or minus and what have you, but the, the overall concept is in life that they've gone out and done a heap of studies on sports people and business and religion, politics, etc. and effectively one of the, com- the, the, the key common denominators was performing with the right skill set, with the right knowledge at that high level for about 10,000 hours, which is a lot of time. Okay, and, you know, I mean, the, the three of you guys, you think about what you're really, really good at. And, and if I went and traced back all of that, you know, you've probably done it for plus 10,000 hours. I mean, you know, Cindy, I could probably throw pretty much most, if not all, nutrition-based things of what to do and what not to do. And you, you would have a comeback, you know, or, or 10 comebacks for everything that I said. Why? Because you've been you've been in the in the cockpit of that particular aspect for a lot a lot of time. So I feel on your example there, Kim, it's really valid. And you know, I, I know today's got the focus on business, and 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 that story is exactly that. Is people see it as an overnight success, but it's kind of what happened in the dark hours when no one's looking. And you know that that comes back to that whole. How, how, what were the skills that that lady were taking on and, you know, what probably didn't get mentioned is all the mentors in the corner, you know, keeping her on track and accountable, et cetera, and, and what she's had to do to, to develop that as a company. So for me, you know, that's hugely critical is that you've got some time. Now, for some people that potentially that are listening to this, they probably just took a bit of a, a deep breath because they're thinking potentially shit this guy's telling me now uh, you know on something i only started last year etc etc well now i got to do another you know eight years just about to make a buck or two and i'm not saying that here's the thing i my my belief and of course i'm going to say this you're going to say well bruiser you're biased because you're a coach um and maybe i am i mean just for all the listeners i have a coach i i pay a stupid amount of money to fly over to America every year to eat my own cooking. All right, like th- this is th- this is the problem about advisors. Just everyone as as a point. Most advisors, whether it be nutrition, you know, wealth, business, etc., most of them, you know, it's the the plumber with the leaky tap. You know, it's um, you know, I, I don't have the right to teach on. Uh, anything to anyone if I'm not really started it myself. So I do a huge amount of learning on this one. I'm going to just say go back to that 10,000 hours and say this to everyone. My belief is with coaching and really developing your own personal knowledge and having people look over your shoulder so those bad ideas that started out as a good idea don't show up in your world is with coaching. So you can increase the velocity of learning, I mean, you know, and and results. So, you know, you look at Cindy, it's been used as an example a couple of times. You know, we, we were going along for I don't know how many years, 10 years, whatever it was, Cindy, and then you look at the trajectory once you really made a decision and then went and chased a heap of business skill and the results speak for themselves. So, I mean, for me, um, all, all um, good knowledge and mentoring around a person will do is decrease the bad ideas. The other way I call that one, Kim, is dumb tax, is anytime I do something dumb, it normally costs me. So I call that dumb tax, is to reduce the dumb tax 
so that I make better decisions on what I'm doing. So, Bruce, I'm interested to um, explore, like there may be some people who are listening to today's show who are flirting with starting up a new business and they've got some amazing ideas, they've got some um, great research, some great experience and it's something that they're really passionate about, you know, making a difference in the lives of others. For somebody who doesn't know what a bad idea yet is, and if they don't know what um, is needed, they don't know what they don't know, where would you suggest somebody start so that they can, I guess, start the way they intend to continue and not find themselves jumping the hurdles of those bad ideas? Mm, Super question. Really, really cool question. I wish more people asked that question, to be quite frank. Um, we wouldn't have that 96% failure rate if more people asked that question. Um, here's my response. Um, I got three questions I ask people is, and, and write these down, everyone on this call, what's the upsides, what's the downsides, and number three, can I live with the downsides? Most people, Karen, are over-optimistic around what their passion and their pursuit is. So the upside, they're normally pretty clear on, pretty. I don't say 100% because no one normally when they walk through my door is 100% clear on their outcome. They've got a vague idea and they're excited about it, but normally they're not that tangible and, and, and normally even less of how to get there. But normally the upside people are, are juiced up on. Most people haven't put any thought into what's the downside. And even worse, then they've put zero thought into can I live with the downside? So if I go and start a venture and put 20K or 50K, whatever the, the investment is to kick something off, it could be not even that. It could be 5K. Is, you know, if, is am I okay to lose that? Am I okay to go and dump a bunch of energy uh, on, on that particular pursuit and do some critical thinking on the offset to, to that? So there's three questions to start on. I think... The, the, the other trick here is to go and find someone, find a mentor, find a coach who, write this down, that they're eating their own cooking and they're not throwing up, okay? they got to be doing well and, in this case, business, so make sure you find someone who's kicking it and has got a results and can give you testimonials and all this type of stuff to be able to make a good decision and ask them the question, pay them a bit of money. That's part of your startup cost of, hey, I think this is a really good idea. Here's my downsides. Here's the downsides. This is why it won't work. I'm going to give you a list of them so that I've got a balanced approach, not just smoking the green grass only on the upside. And, and then you can kick that around versus what you want out of it. Okay, so from a goal point of view, I know you guys have talked many times, I'm sure, about goals and how to go after that is, you know, is my goal realistic, you know, in the first one or two years? I mean, any person that does a startup, here's another one to write down. Uh, Karen, Kim, Cindy, you've all done it. You've got the same tattoo as me. Any startup business on the planet sucks an enormous amount of cash and energy and time. Would I be right or would I be wrong? (laughs) Absolutely. It sucks. I mean, really, it drains. So for me, you know, it, it kind of, you got to be okay that you're going to have to 
do that investment. And then depending on, I mean, if it's a part-time thing or one, two days a week thing, okay, that'll it'll be proportionate to that. But most times if people are kind of running it as a business, you know, on a, on a full-time base, it's going to suck a heap of energy and time. So you just got to know the trade-offs of what you're trying to go after. Here's a here's a here's a, a classic example for you, Karen. This is one of my coolest uh, of, of late stories, and I got a bunch of them. A lady in Tasmania I coach. Her name is Virginia. Nice and cool down there. She can She's off a farming background, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She rang me up about two years ago. Got referred to me. And said that down the line, I said, "What do you want to do? What's your business?" She said, "Oh, well, I got farming, and we got this and that, and the next thing." But I've got a new new idea. And I said, "Tell me the new idea." And she said, "Look, I want to go and start uh, an app on the phone, uh, an app for agriculture. And what we want to do is, when you know, rather than using uh, stock and state agents to be able to trade sheep, cattle, pigs, and all this type of stuff, we want to kind of take the middleman out, do it all through an app." And I said, great, how, how much you got? And she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm happy to pump, you know, about 100 grand into this venture and, and, you know, that's good. And I just said, look, I'll take you on. She came on as a client. I, th- I asked her in week one, look, I'm happy to do app. If app's the way to go here and we can work out a, a model to be able to do that, great, we'll do app. But could could, you, could you just give me 90 days to ask the question, of if we didn't do that as a startup, would you do something else? And if something else still got you to your family goals and what you want in terms of time and the amount of money you want to take out of it, would, would you consider it? And she said, look, uh, you know, I'm a pretty stubborn old cow. That's what she said. And, and but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll at least trust you. Take me on that journey. So we started looking at businesses to buy. You fast forward about nine months post that conversa- uh, conversation, Karen. You know what she bought? She bought a forklift, uh, a forklift hire business, and she now runs a multi-million-dollar business on forklift hire to people. And we didn't do the app. All right. Now that's not because I tried to persuade her or Connor into doing something different. I just said, look, you know. If your goals are what you told me they are, you know, is there a different vehicle? So sometimes I suppose the point out of that question or that that little story is what we start out is not only the way to maybe get to making a difference to the world, you know, what she's ended up doing, by the way, in her sort of impact to the world, she now employs you know, the, the app was going to employ, you know, no one apart from a couple of graphic people. She now employs 35 people down there in Tassie and, you know, is, is really putting a heap into the economies down there to, to make a difference. So, you know, I suppose the point is there's lots of different ways and I think if we're not clear on upsides, downsides and can we live with them, being clear on the goal and having someone at least challenge your thought, um, potentially it may not, may not work out the way that you want. So let's talk about leverage. It was something that you mentioned earlier and um, my sister is my coach and mentor and it's a big thing that she works with me personally and also um, some of the people that I coach. What's your take on leverage and where? at what point does leverage become um, relevant, necessary, important, crucial in a startup scenario? Great question. Um, so, I mean, the, the, I don't know how much teachings you guys have done around leverage. I mean, my, my definition leverage for the listeners 
well, there's two of them. Write these two down. The first one is ever more with ever less. Or another way to say it is do the work once and get paid forever or long term. Do the work once, get paid forever or long term. So essentially you, you're creating uh, a process. It's the whole methodology of what you do and are you creating a ongoing value that is going to be uh, able to be done through team, through people, through systems, uh, etc. There's many, many different types of leverage. Here's thing, one thing I know, Karen. Um, a gentleman called Warren Buffett. Uh, some people, I quote the guy a lot. I think uh, the reason I quote him, he's, he's now the second or third. He kind of uh, mixes this up, richest guy on the planet. He's got over $74 billion of net worth. So he kind of, in my opinion, has earned the right to say a few quotes. So I quote him every now and again. One, one quote I like about Warren that he says is the rich invest in time, the poor invest in money. So when people are starting out to save a buck because they're investing in money, they'll try to save a buck. So they'll say, well, look, you know, um, we've got to do the books. You know, we've got to, if I've got some revenue and I've got some expenses, etc. So, you know, what, what people do is they, they try to save a buck, they've got some revenue, they've got some expenses, and then what they end up doing is they'll say, look, because, so I don't have to pay a bookkeeper or anyone else to do it, I'll just do that myself because that'll save me, you know, 50 bucks an hour or whatever on, on bookkeeping. So then I end up doing that for, you know, three hours a day or two hours a day or whatever a week, and then I'm not then focusing on marketing my business or growing my business. Um, so effectively, what we end up doing is self-sabotaging the whole business because we end up trying to do everything rather than coming and saying, look, I'm not a specialist on bookkeeping. Let's pay someone else to do that. They can do it in half the time and probably better. And, uh, and then I can then go and do other things that's going to allow me to grow my business. So my point, Karen is, you know, on Warren's quote, there is, you know, the, the rich, what those guys and girls do is they say, look, my, my time is highly valuable, so why would I want to go and waste it in something I can pay someone else to do? Okay, uh, he, here's something for the record, Karen. I have not mowed my own lawn since 2006. And I say to people, do you think I have a jungle outside my house? And the answer is no. And my, my, my point is why would, I, why would I ever conceptually want to go and do something that I can pay someone 20, 30 bucks an hour to do when I'm worth a whole heap more, right? So for me, I think one of the big tips on starting a business is asking the question, what can you leverage? What aren't you a specialist at that you can give to someone else um, so that you can focus on the true areas that's going to uh, involve you growing the business. Does, does that make sense on leverage there, Karen? Yeah, it does. And I, I had a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks back and they literally had no dollars, no dollars at all. They, Unfortunately, this particular person had invested in businesses in the past and they hadn't gone particularly well and she was ready to start again. It had been, you know, five or six years and she really felt like she was ready to kick it off again. And her question was, 
you know, when I've got no money to pay somebody else and everybody's saying outsource, 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 what's the alternative? Do I just not start the business? And the answer could be that could be the right thing to do. I mean, I, I, I don't know the specific yeah, circumstances, yeah, yeah. but I mean, for some people, you're right. I mean, I, I mean, I've got clients where they've come to me, said, oh, look, Bruiser, I heard you're a really great guy and coach and can help me grow my business. And then when we get down to the nitty gritty, it's like, look, man, I haven't, I physically don't have that. I can't raise that amount of money to start working with you. And I'm saying, well, good. What you can do is get a book. Why don't you buy my book? Where's my cash gone? You know, I wrote it for a specific reason because most people in business normally wake up saying that it eventually at some stage. So I thought I'd write the book on it. But, you know, or, if you know, if you can't uh, afford a 30-buck book, well, you know, look, last time I looked, I'm not a frequent visitor, but, you know, most libraries, you can get a friggin' library card for five bucks. There, there, there must be 50 books in the Budrum you know, library uh, that, that relate to this to go and get your knowledge up. And it could be, you know, hey, I've got to go and beg, borrow and steal off, off someone to be able to go and start my venture or at very worst, which I think is only short term, is good. Go and do a job. Go and put a pot of cash away for six months so you can come back with a bit of capital, you know, and you use that that, that space to go and learn. Yeah, Bruce, you know, I just want to... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I just wanted to ask you, um, one of the things that, that I've really taken away with the coaching with you is is looking at how we can um, create mastery in things like money or, or where you're heading. And you talk a lot about the cockpit and being in the cockpit and understanding your levers and, and which things to push. And one of the things that really hit home for me and has hit home for a number of people that I end up speaking to is... Um, if you don't really think about your destination, how on earth do you know where to, to steer the ship, so to speak? And I think it was some really great questions that I think would be really good for our listeners is, you know, what is it that you really want? What is the direction and the clarity of vision that you have around that? Where are you going? What's your success plan? You know, a lot of people don't even think about what they're going to do with the success along the way. And, and I know things like vision boards and manifestations and bucket lists and things like that work very, very well. But one thing that really hit home for me and when I had my mother-in-law sitting next to me one day when we heard you speaking was when, you know, the average Australian New Zealander lives to 82 years of age, um, which basically means that we live for 4,264 weeks, I think. And, you know, there's my beautiful mother-in-law and her at 70 going, because you put the chart up, she goes, well, I've only got 624 weeks left. And and there's me in my 40s with 2,184, actually, I'm nearly 50, so 1,664. I've got it on my wall right here because it's such a reminder to me of, you know, it's not that everything becomes desperation or that you're desperate to get everything done, but you then start really honouring the time that you have and one of your key take-homes for me is how much time do we spend working on the business, creating systems and procedures, and and it's taken so much time in my business to actually get some of these, um, you know, real systems and procedures down pat, you know. One of the things you said to me at the very beginning when I started coaching with you was perhaps we wouldn't have had such big dumb tax and a number of the things that I'd already done um, without the knowledge or the skills. 
I just want to ask you about explaining that the law of vacuum around those four key areas, because I reckon our listeners would really appreciate that we all say, oh, I haven't got enough time, I haven't got enough money, or people say this, or they feel like there's never enough time to do the things that they want. Your principle around that, could you just explain um, around your levels of mastery, why you think it's important to honour the time that we have and the law of vacuum? All right, thank you. Good, good, good overview. Um, and and look, I mean, I'll try to do it justice in in a minute or two here, uh, listeners. Um, I, I can present this on that particular one topic for about a day, but let me let me have a shot in a couple of minutes here. Um, I think Kim's point, and I'm going to challenge everyone to say, well, look, I mean, at the end of this day, I say, I, I don't know. Or, the good thing about you, the, the three of you guys, if you go and follow all your messages around health and wellness, et cetera, the cool thing is for most of the listeners that you, you'll put, you know, 10, 20, 30 more years on your life just by living better, you know, in terms of what you do and eat and the way you, you know, interact around chemicals, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's, that's the first thing. Here's the other thing. The other thing is we're all not getting out of this thing alive. Eventually, there is the thing called mortality. And, you know, after a certain point, I know people sometimes don't like the R, R word being retirement. Fact is, eventually, you can't actually work. Like, you're physically not able. I mean, you know, it kind of sucks to have the, uh, you know, the walking frame, you know, walking in your business. That's not going to work eventually, all right? So, you know, there will be time when um, there'll be a time when we all can't work, right? So, you know, that could be a 10-year lapse. It could be 20-year. I don't know what, what the, the time frame is, but maybe you ask the question on yourself is, well, you know, if it is a 20 years and you don't want to work from 60 to 80, if that's how long you think you're going to live, well, you know, that has to be funded, all right? And this why in Australia they've done, you know, that's why they've, they've got this thing called compulsory super because they, the government doesn't want us to rely on them for you to live, right? And when people don't do a good enough job on creating their wealth throughout the years before that particular time, whatever that is for you, effectively they got to go and live off the pension. And, you know, last time I checked, it's not a – huge amount you know you you you, you're you're on a pretty meager wicket there and if you want to be on that i'm cool with that i mean for me when i look at my life i don't really want to be doing that so you know therefore what i create pre whatever that age is is the important part which normally involves creating and growing a business okay so i think that's the that's the first thing here's a quick here's a a challenge a little exercise for all the listeners is to write down how many years between what you think your life expectancy is and when you're kind of not wanting to push the walking frame around the office or whatever that is for you. And if it, you know, and just write that down, okay? And then say, this next question is, well, how many, how much would I want to live on a year throughout those years so that I don't have to be a burden on my children or, or whatever or the government, okay? That, that, then there'll be a total figure that you need to create in net worth if you want to live on a hundred grand and you've got twenty years, you know, you do the math. Okay. So and I'm not I don't get stuck on that number. I'm just I'm just throwing those type of things out there to get everyone thinking. So I think that's the first thing. I think coming back to um, your question around 
law of vacuum. He, here's the explanation on the law of vacuum. Law of vacuum will suck the time with what you've got. So, you know, if you think about this, if you, a lot for a lot of people, if they leave, for example, this is how it works on money. If you leave money in an account, more often than not, it gets spent. So uh, the same thing applies for time, right, is that if I, if I have a certain amount of time available to me and I don't have blocked spaces for that or meetings or blocked time where i got to go and do certain activities, guess what? It's going to get eaten, okay? It's like a law of vacuum. You know, I mean, Cindy, you must see this in nutrition. If I got a huge dinner plate, you know, like triple size one, all right, law of vacuum states that I'll probably throw more food on there just because the bigger plate, you know, versus a small plate where I can't physically fit as much on. So that there's the law of vacuum working on nutrition. Okay, so you know, I th- I think that the 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 challenge for a lot of people is their inability, Kim, to block. Okay, that's why here's a practical example that you can do, listeners, on this. Any coach, uh, any business that I coach, people normally end up with a trading account. They also split off another account for tax. Why? Because I want to go and portion off what we eventually will owe the government, income tax, BAS, whatever. I'm going to split that off so I don't get confused that it's my money when it's not. I mean, the people that run businesses, just so you know, this country, in terms of businesses around the, uh, Australia, something like, get this number, write this one down, something like 75, 78% of businesses have a loan with the ATO, where they stuff up their taxes and have to say, shit, I don't have enough money, I've got to go and do a loan with the government. Okay, that's a fact, as we say here today. So for me splitting off money into another account that f- because you're going to have that liability with the government eventually is, I think is a good idea. Here's another one, Karen. I think having an emergency fund, a little thing where it's kind of like a dumb tax fund, if you do hit a speed bump, you know, something came out of left to field that no one could have done anything about, I think little old emergency accounts sitting there, I mean, you ask anyone who gets into a trouble financially, they wished they wanted a little old emergency account to go and tap into so they didn't have to go and beg, borrow and steal to, to keep the thing going. So I think that's a good idea. Again, there's another little law of vacuum. That that normally takes time to build too, depending on what your starting point. Here's another one. Once they're full, Cindy, we've done this with you. Once that's full, then you go, there's only one other account to feed, which is what I call the profit account, which is then your investment vehicle. So that that's then what goes and buys and shares and other investments and whatever. And I'm going to split that out of the trading account because, I mean, I don't know about you three ladies. I know in the businesses that we run, that trading account, if there's a heap of money in there, more often than not, we'll always find another expense to spend something on. There'll always be something else sexy that comes along that, you know, I think's a cool idea or my team does that gets eaten. So I think, why don't you just have a blockage on that and and block that? So maybe there's a, I don't know if that's helpful for the listeners, you guys, but that's a, there's a practical example on the law of vacuum and what to do about it around your money. I love it. It's brilliant. Uh, one of the things um, that uh, I was just wanting to go back to is that you were talking about a book 
um, and it was about the 10,000 hours, and it was Malcolm Gladwell's The Outliers. Okay. Um, and you. it's a book, and I would recommend people to read it because it talks about the Beatles, and everybody thinks that they were an overnight success, but they spent several years in Europe playing six hours a night, six days a week, um, before they became that overnight success. So, you know, you're right, it does, it, it does take time. Uh, and the other thing that I, I wanted to just put in here was I remember when I wrote my book back in 1998 and I decided to self-publish because no publisher wanted me, I knew that it was going to cost me $6,000, which um, I took out of Howard's and my business at that time, it was the chiropractic business, in order to do it. And I figured out that I would uh, buy 2,000 books with that and I knew that I had to, I think, um, sell 500 of those books in order to break even. So sometimes like those little little steps that you do, you go, yeah, I can do that. Um, and, yes, I had to borrow the, the $6,000 from another business, um, but it was well worth it. And the, and the third thing that I wanted to um, make comment on was when I met you and you talked about leveraging my time. So I had done everything. I was the dispatch. I was the writer. I was the editor. I was the website lady. I was the the speaker, the one that took the money, like I, you know, I did everything. And I remember when we um, employed Karen um, and Karen's been with us six years. So that's how long Bruce we started. And I remember when we employed Karen and I said to Karen, well, I can only afford three days a week. And she said to me, well, I need five. And, and I just went, Oh, can I afford five days a week? Can, can I do this? And then before I knew it, we were, we'd employed the dispatch because um, I, she, Karen made all the difference. And still today, Karen is with me six years later and she makes all the difference. And, so, and, and Sydney, just a quick one on that, if I may. Yes. What happened there is law of vacuum in reverse. So what happened is even though at the time the budget only could stretch for three days, right, we, we took an educated, uh, you know, assessment of that and then said, guess what? And Laura Vacuum then filled up the, the sales funnel to be able to then fulfill and sustain quite easily five days a week. So yeah, for me, yeah. so, you know, that's how the Laura Vacuum works if there's a plan. Now, just to state, because some of the people listening potentially listened to that and went, oh, God, all right, if I just go out and do law of vacuum then you know then by me creating that the space then i'll be able to fill up my sales right and 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 there's very big difference between taking a gamble right and i see people do this you know they 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 try to manifest it with no skills or guidance and what have you and and then it doesn't fill up the hopper they don't fill up the sales funnel and revenue and then five days is all of a sudden a bad idea Okay, so for me, I'm good with the law of vacuum like you did it, but when we go back and looked at all the little clues for success in that, there was a very strategic plan of then how to get create sales and marketing, and you know we go back and there was a strategic plan on even how we took that lady on. You know, she went through one of my you know, all famous group interviews and, you know, psych profiling, etc. And, and, you know, we sit here today saying, you know, we found the right one, we onboarded her and, hey, she's still, 
Um, she's still an asset to the team to this day. What a great hire. Yeah. And I think that that's also really important is surround yourself with a good team. And I heard somebody say, um, if I don't know how to do it, I find someone who does know how to do it and does it better. And I think that that's how we've um, hired our team is that, well, we don't know how to do that, but we need to find somebody with the skills that have done it. So the latest person that I've in, um, employed is a holistic farmer for my farm. And because I don't have the skills, I don't know anything about it. And I just went, well, I may have to spend a little bit of money in the first 12 months, um, but then I can do that now. I, I'm at that stage where I can um, do that. I did that with the education program. I, you know, I employed a professor, you know, full time for 12 months in order to create this program. Who he, He's still with us also. So I think you get to a point in your business where you can um, – what's the word, um, foresee what you can do, even though you've got to spend a lot of money in order to do it, you know what's going to happen um, in the future and, and where that's going to come. And I think you have to do, as you always say to me, a return on investment. So if I do this and I spend this much, what's the likelihood that I can, you know, um, you know make some money on in the in the future in doing that and that was one thing that i remember we had a, a question on do we put a salesperson on the road or do we get an event coordinator i don't know if you remember this bruce mm. and you made mm. me do a return on investment okay this is what each one is going to cost me and then we had to be really particular and we realized putting a salesperson on the road was a waste of time we might have made fifteen thousand over a 12 month period but putting an event coordinator on um, and what it was going to cost and what it would do for me getting me on the road and doing what we were doing and for, for, um, forecasting sales and things like that was it was a no-brainer, an absolute no-brainer. So, yeah. you know, like I just think of all the things that you've taught us and that are stuck in my mind and that I continue to do uh, now and, yeah. I have to do actually a return on investment. I just realised on one thing that I'm thinking about doing. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, it's the, I always love it when um, when you're in a teaching mode up the front or on a webinar, etc., and then you say something and you go, "Crikey, I, I actually got to do that myself." That's a good. Point. Let me write that down. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, sometimes we just go um, full head on to doing something, and then you know, because it's a love or a passion or something that you've dreamt of doing since you were 19 years of age, um, but then perhaps not looking at the return on investment. And sometimes, Bruce, I get to the point where I, and, I, and mark me if I'm wrong here, after paying so much tax, you kind of go, well, where can I do something that I love that will um, be a tax deduction but a profitable tax deduction? So, um, you know, is that right or wrong? Look, I think I think it's entirely right. I mean, you know, for me, it's funny I'll be teaching this. I think you might even be in the room in a couple of weekends is, you know, three level of goal setting, guys. Maybe write these three down if you're on the call here. It is The first is, you know, move away from goals. So people will come up with things like, uh, you know, I want to get I, I want to lose weight. I'm sick of these credit cards. You know, I want to get out of that type of, um, uh, you know, that, that's a move away goal. That's that's where most people start. Number two is a move towards. First, move away from goal. Second, being moved towards. That's where, hey, I want to, 
have this amount of time and balance in my family or I want to get to this point of wellness and health or I want to create this goal in my business, right? I think part three, you need to get to part two, right? Most people normally start in part one. Part three is where you end up doing something for someone else, okay, where you're doing, for example, you know, more charitable work. You know, you only got to go and look at the, the people that make a bunch of money, whether it be billions or millions or even, you know, multi-millions, is a lot of the time they give a lot of that back. You know, I know we do a huge amount of charity uh, in a year. I'm probably more at goal three, and that's a little bit like what you're talking about is to be able to say, well, look, you know, in terms of what I want to grow, is there a way for me to have something, you know, uh, e.g. a farm, e.g. my how, how can I do that and still have a benefit from a tax point of view? So for me, I'm all for those um, as long as I suppose people work through the first two first before they kind of end up in that play. Yeah, okay. I think, I think you're just, um, you, you make things very simple and easy and even though there's a lot of work always involved in everything that we do, I just, every time I hear your voice, it, to me it's an inspiration. You are the rock for me at the moment and, and I feel very, very grateful to have someone of your knowledge and your generosity of spirit and, you know, you've got a beautiful wife and a beautiful family. You read people amazingly. Um, you articulate things so well and I just want you to know, Bruce, that I sleep with you every night. So um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have your book beside my bed and I still, like I do with Cindy, pray like hell that via osmosis I will get the fundamental principles within that book and I have a notebook next to the bed. I read a chapter a night and I will be honest with you, it hasn't always made sense to me and I'm sure many of our listeners, well, I hope many of our listeners will also appreciate that sometimes the principles of business, if particularly if you've never been brought up with this mindset or understanding, it can be quite difficult. So can you just explain to us very briefly as we come to a close a little bit about your book, Where's My Cash Gone, which I think is a great topic. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? And then if people want to get hold of you, could you also please give us your amazing website and all the things that you offer? I really think it's important that they can see the levels of entry into having contact with with you. Thank you. So, and, and great words. I uh, I, uh, I want to sleep with you every night as well. Kim. <laughs> uh, so, uh, don't tell Georgie. Don't, don't tell Georgie. On that one. Um, <laughs> but look, um, thank you for those words. Look, b big picture. We are very serious around what we do. Um, you know, you, you talked about. I, uh, there before Cindy about making a decision you know about you know 12 years ago I decided to make a decision to run a, a global coaching business and not do hobby and not do just advice you know at the coffee shop I said how can I really go and impact a lot of people with what I know and to that point I got a little quote that sits on my uh, dashboard and a brain and bucket list and all this and basically here it comes I wrote a thing that says I didn't. It's not my words. I got it off my mentor, but he basically said something to me, and it goes like this: that hell on earth would be meeting the person I could have been. And you know, I say those words, and I, you know, I actually get emotional even thinking about them because for me, if I've got a skill that I that that it can really be a benefit to the the business population and 
etc. in the community. Why wouldn't I? I'd be a selfish bastard if I didn't get out there and share it with as many people. So essentially, that's kind of the mission we're on: is to change, you know, the world through business and and social change on the back of that. So basically, we we have a company. the The website is online business coach onlinebusinesscoach.com uh, and we, we help a heap of people. One of the ways that we do that is through our book. I wrote a book a, a bit over a year ago called Where's, um, uh, Where's My Cash Gone? You know, we've got another series of these coming out. Next one I'm, gonna, I'm already writing is Where's My Time Gone and I'm going to do Where's My Team Gone? Where's Holy Where's my mind gone? I've, you know, I think I'll get a lot of sales if I do one. Where's my marriage gone? Um, but anyway, a bit, a bit of fun. But look, where's my cash gone? Grab a copy. It's thirty bucks. I'm sure it'll be on your a good investment for your, you know, your bedside table uh, or or your shelf. So look, that's it in terms of the the programs. You know, we, we're careful um, who we work with. We. Uh, like I said there before, I, I want to work with people who are committed to make some changes. You know, problem I've got here, uh, Cindy, Kim, Karen, you've, you've, most of you have heard me say this, is people go to, along to our seminars, they hear these great results, and then it's the flavor of the month. And, you know, hey, you know, if I do the least amount of work, I'm going to get rich by working with this guy. And they're not the type of people I want. I don't want quick diet silver bullet type of people what i'm after is people that are committed to make a change and i don't care how much money you've got all right commitment doesn't start with your with your checkbook it starts with you making a decision so i got a lot of people who started with 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 bugger all you know to a point where their coaching fees were actually less than their turnover okay but they wanted they know the skill they were sick of doing dumb tax in their life and they wanted to make better choices. So, you know, we have a bunch of programs uh, in groups. We do a lot of seminar work. You know, we've got our leading one in the next, uh, you know, couple of weeks here called the Entrepreneurs Forum for two days and black tie gala dinners and, you know, it's all happening. So, uh, you know, we're proud of what we've done. If you, uh, for the people that are committed that want to know more, grab a book, get on that website. There's a whole bunch of uh, free resource there. Go and, you know, swallow it all. And, um, you know, and look, as a finale, just to thank the three of you guys uh, for having me on today. Each of you do amazing work. I'm uh, proud to be associated with you and proud to be on today's call. So thank you very much. Oh, I love you, Bruce. Awesome, Bruce. Thank you for sharing so many of your insights with all of us and with our listeners. And, you know, I'm, I'm confident that, you know, if people who are listening to today's show have had any questions about what to do or how to get themselves started, no doubt there's a new level of clarity or a new level of seriousness that could potentially have come over you. So make sure that you post your comments and your questions on our Facebook page for Bruce. And of course, we'll make sure that he gets them. Or it may even mean that we do another show to give us some more clarity. So let us know and keep us posted. Go to allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat or you can also post your comments or your questions at all the w's dot the com forward slash up for a chat so join us here next week on up for a chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world and we are gonna so see you on the ride bye for now everybody 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.